Welcome back to City Watch, a watchdog program for social, economic, political, and cultural issues here in New York City. I'm happy you're with us today. Uh, I'm your host, David Brand, joined by my co-host, Jeff Simmons. How you doing, Jeff? I'm doing great. Great to be with you again. And today, the phone lines are working. The phone lines are working, as opposed to last weekend when uh, the, we, we were going to talk about the bag ban, which actually took effect today. So maybe some of the people who didn't call in last week might want to uh, phone in with some of their uh, some of their experiences so far. And in fact, that's great. So I, I hate to do this to you, but because we could not have our guests on last Sunday, I got one on on Thursday, and the phone lines lit up. WBAI listeners had some incredible views. The phone lines would not stop. I know making you jealous on Thursday <laughs> when I was on Driving Forces, but they had some really good points. Uh, and what was interesting is. The callers, maybe it was just because of the show or maybe they were aware of it, but they all knew that there was this bag ban that was going to take place. We talked about the situation in other jurisdictions compared with here and uh, had the interview with the chief of staff to the uh, or at the New York State Department of Environmental Conservation talking about that they were even going to be delaying uh, sanctioning folks for hmm. a, a short period of time before this really goes into full no. effect. Was there a general consensus among the callers? There, there was. The majority of the callers felt this was a good step, that something needed to be done, but there are other environmental measures. There are other steps that can take place. Uh, some people had other suggestions for the type of bags. Mm. One talked about, and I was not familiar with this, seeing if we could get a hemp bag, mm. hemp bags. Uh, and Reggie, uh, the engineer, and I were talking about uh, even the the type of bags that we use for when we walk our dogs that they're made uh, the ones that I use are made out of some type of a vegetable byproduct uh, so they're biodegradable compostable I guess um, this is a big weekend in New York City and so you you were participating in an event this weekend right what 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 were you at 21st annual St. Pat's for All parade uh, and this is a parade that is all inclusive and was started by Brendan Fay and other organizers because they were excluded from the main St. Patrick's mm. Day Parade in Manhattan. And it's interesting that this weekend that parade took place the same day that uh, where everyone was included uh, in this one in Sunnyside, Queens. At the same time, the Staten Island Parade was going on where they were excluding uh, those who are LGBTQ. And in fact, a Republican member of the New York City Council was prohibited from participating in the parade today after he showed up, and you'll be able to read about this in the papers tomorrow, yeah. after he showed up with a pin, a small pin, really? to show his, uh, you know, a pride flag and pin. you're talking about in Staten Island? On Staten Island, yes. Wow. I say on Staten Island. On Staten Island. I, I, when I was at New York 1, I got corrected on that, not to say <laughs> in Staten Island, but well, on that's, Staten that's Island. That's another debate, the on or in, when you talk about <laughs> online, in line, online. Or on Long Island. But I will say this parade in Queens had all of or many of your top electeds, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Chuck Schumer, mm -hmm. Carolyn Maloney, New York City Council Speaker Corey Johnson, uh, a number, uh, a lot of progressives. I will say, and you will know this well, no matter what you do now living in Queens, too, or across the city, anywhere you now go between now and the end of 2021, you're going to be running into people who are politicking. There were lots of people yeah. asking me to sign their petitions oh, yeah. today. Oh, well, that we are amid petitioning. So people want to appear on the ballot for uh, for state or city office. So 
starting to get uh, need those signatures now. So there's a lot of other uh, news going on. So before we get to our first guest, we should bring you the latest news thanks to our correspondent, Celeste Katz-Marston. In the aftermath of the first reported U.S. death from the novel coronavirus, the White House is continuing to encourage Americans not to panic about the spread of the infection. Appearing Sunday on CNN's State of the Union, Vice President Mike Pence said more deaths were possible, but that the government was taking the threat seriously. We could have more sad news, but the American people should know the risk for the average American remains low, Mm -hmm. uh, and they can be confident, and and after... Three days leading the president's effort on the coronavirus, uh, I'm more confident than ever that we are bringing a whole of government approach. The president has directed the full resources of the federal government and talking with governors around the country, particularly in states where we brought people back home. Uh, California, China. Washington, I've Oregon. Spoken, I've spoken to Governor Cuomo in New York, mm-hmm. and Governor Newsom in California. One governor after another has praised the efforts of HHS, CDC, but now it's incumbent on us to continue that effort. We're going to work with members in both parties in Congress to resource our federal agencies and just as important to resource state and local health officials as they engage in the kind of preventative measures and treatment that will uh, that will mitigate the spread of the coronavirus. President Donald Trump put the vice president in charge of the U.S. response to COVID-19 late last week amid criticisms that the administration was downplaying the threat of the disease and its likely spread. In a tweet Sunday, Trump said that in addition to screening travelers prior to boarding from certain designated high-risk countries or areas within those countries, they will also be screened when they arrive in America. As of the weekend, two new cases of coronavirus in Washington state and one Rhode Island case had pushed the U.S. total to 73, while the Dominican Republic reported its first case in a tourist visiting from Italy. Meanwhile, in the U.K., Prime Minister Boris Johnson visited the offices of Public Health England as the number of confirmed coronavirus cases there ticked up to 35. He said authorities were preparing to conduct, quote, thousands of tests and urged people to exercise simple but effective hygiene. We have uh, an outbreak in the UK, about 35. Uh, The chances are, I'm afraid, we will get more. But we can very, very easily uh, guard against the spread of this by doing one simple thing, that is washing our hands, wash your hands, sing happy birthday twice whilst washing your hands in hot water with a bar of soap. Separately, British Health Minister Matt Hancock told the BBC in an interview that he would not rule out the possibility of isolating cities to contain the spread of the virus, but that he hoped it wouldn't be necessary. Well, there's clearly a huge economic and social downside to that, uh, but we don't take anything off the table at this stage uh, because you've got to make sure that you have all of the tools available. In national news, the coronavirus hasn't stopped Democratic candidates for president from barnstorming the country ahead of this week's Super Tuesday primary voting. After scoring a resounding victory on Saturday in South Carolina, former Vice President Joe Biden's campaign is making a major push to fend off top candidate Bernie Sanders of Vermont. South Carolina, like I said all the time, the whole time, you're the launching pad. Boy, you have launched this for And we're indebted to you. We really are. You've made Bill Clinton president. You made Barack Obama president. If God willing, you're going to help me become president. This is the biggest deal so far in this campaign. So thank you, thank you, thank you. 
The latest polling showed Sanders with a notable advantage in California, followed by Biden, Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts, and former New York City Mayor Mike Bloomberg. Sanders also has a lead in Texas, the second largest state voting on Tuesday. Billionaire Tom Steyer ended his long-shot campaign for the presidency after a weak performance in South Carolina, but South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg says he's pushing ahead with his bid. Here's Buttigieg on Sunday's edition of NBC's Meet the Press. Uh, we'll be uh, looking at the math uh, as we continue to uh, push and make the most of the resources that we have. And uh, I think what matters most right now is calling Americans to that vision of what it could be like in this country if we could turn the page on the toxic and divided character of our politics right now. Democrats must capture 1,991 pledged delegates for the nomination. Other states voting on this week's Super Tuesday include Colorado, Minnesota, and Virginia. In another Super Tuesday state, Alabama, congregants at the Brown Chapel AME Church in Selma turned their backs on Mike Bloomberg in silent protest. Bloomberg, who spoke at the legendary black church on the 55th anniversary of the watershed civil rights events of Bloody Sunday, has repeatedly apologized on the campaign trail for the stop and frisk tactics used by the NYPD during his time as mayor of New York. New York's presidential primaries are scheduled for April 28th. And in local news, New York State's plastic bag restrictions went into effect today. Shoppers can now be charged five cents for a paper bag and are encouraged to bring their own. A PSA from Mayor Bill de Blasio's office says plastic bags are taking a toll on the health and the pocketbook of the city. New York is banning single-use plastic carryout bags, and here's why. New Yorkers use 10 billion plastic bags every single year. That's 91,000 tons of plastic sent to landfills and $12.5 billion in disposal costs each year. An average plastic bag is used for 15 minutes, but won't decompose for more than 1,000 years. The bag ban, which some are lauding as good for the environment and others say goes too far and hurts businesses, does allow for some exceptions, such as takeout bags for restaurant food. Enforcement won't begin until April 1st so that stores can use up the bags they have on hand. After that, retailers who flout the law may ultimately face fines of up to $500. WBAI is supported entirely by listeners like you. Go to give2wbai.org to support free speech community radio. Give2, that's the number 2, wbai.org. For WBAI New York, I'm Celeste Katz-Marston. Now, back to City Watch with your hosts, Jeff Simmons and David Brand. Thank you, Celeste. Uh, so Celeste mentioned the Democratic primary in South Carolina, and I think we're all paying attention to that, of course, and we have Super Tuesday coming up. But here, closer to home, we have several races, and I think none are generating more interest than the Democratic primary for the 35th Assembly District in Queens, and that covers East Elmhurst, Lefrak City, and parts of Corona, Woodside, Jackson Heights, and Elmhurst. The New York Times even wrote a long feature about the race last month. Uh, the district has been represented by the same person, Assemblyman Jeff Aubrey, since 1992, but for the first time in several years, Aubrey is facing a primary challenge, and that's coming from none other than Hiram Montserrat, a former city council member and state senator and a current Democratic district leader. You'll often see Montserrat described in newsprint as a, quote, disgraced former councilman and state senator because of his history of domestic violence and public corruption, uh, which got him expelled from the Senate and later sentenced to prison. He was convicted of misdemeanor assault in 2009. He wasn't convicted of a felony, however. 
for slicing his girlfriend's face with a glass and dragging her to the car uh, and then driving her to a hospital 30 minutes away from their home rather than one that was only a few blocks away. Uh, that got him expelled from the Senate. A couple years later, he was convicted of public corruption for steering uh, money from the city council that was directed to his uh, a nonprofit that he ran and then taking the money from the nonprofit to fund his campaigns. He was sentenced to 21 months in prison for that. Uh, nevertheless, Montserrat has a following, and he is popular with some constituents. He even won election as a Democratic district leader in 2018. That's a, a hyper-local position where people have influence within county party decision-making. He declined to come on our show. He said he's petitioning. Um, maybe he's listening and wants to call in later on. But we are fortunate to have the incumbent, and that's Assemblyman Jeff Aubrey. Uh Mr. Aubrey has been in office for nearly 30 years, and he's focused much of that time on criminal justice reform, even before it was uh, de rigueur in recent years. He was fighting against the death penalty, even as some of his colleagues, including some still in office, were voting to reinstate the death penalty in New York in 1995. More recently, as he has advocated to end the use of solitary confinement in jails and prisons. Today, we're fortunate to have Assemblyman Jeff, Jeff Aubrey uh, on City Watch to talk about his tenure, his campaign against Montserrat, and the current state of criminal justice reform in Albany. Welcome to City Watch, Assemblyman. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be on. How are you today? I'm doing well, thank you. And uh, we're with co-host Jeff Simmons here as well. Good to Hi, speak Jeff. with you. How are you? So, Assemblyman Aubrey, uh, this is a, a hot race. There's no doubt about it. And it's your first primary challenge in several years, I think since 2010, correct? Yes, exactly. Right. So, how did you find out that Montserrat was running against you? And, and, and what, what were your initial thoughts? Um, so, the, how do you describe irony? At the time that I heard about Hiram's decision to run against me, I was in ethics training hmm. with the... Uh, down in the assembly's offices in Lower Manhattan, which is required of us every every year, we have to go through ethics, tra ethics training because uh, all the things that have happened in the state government. And so I was there, um, and I said, "Well, I had heard rumors that he was considering it. We knew that there were issues that he has been." Uh, raising in the neighborhood, and so I wasn't surprised. Um, it is, I think, something that will just a natural part of uh, the process, the political process, is that you're going to have that kind of uh, challenge somewhere in your career. How concerned are you about that challenge? He, he does have a following in the district, and as evidenced by him winning the district leader seat. Yes, and you take every challenge seriously. There's no challenge that is not does not require your full attention. Uh, I'm committed to, you know, serving again. Committed to providing the kinds of leadership in the assembly and leadership in the community that I have over the years. And I don't believe that this challenge will make that task any more difficult. But the fact is, there will be a race. People are going to have to make choices at the ballot box, which is, of course, the Democratic way. There's a bill before the state legislature right now that would prevent convicted felons from running for state office less than 10 years after their last conviction. Do you support that bill? I have not taken a position on it. And clearly it was, you know, 
not only just Hiram, but others who are also considering running homeless in their histories. And, uh, you know, for me, because I have had a long career in trying to reform criminal justice practices, believe in giving people an opportunity to uh, regain their citizenship and act in a way that is conducive to a positive life in our, in our communities, it banning him for me uh, was something that I had to pause and think about. Even though if Hiram had been convicted of a state offense, the law already would not allow him to run. But because Hiram was convicted in federal court, um, it, federal court, federal action was not anticipated in the law that exists. And so the bill would amend the existing law and then add if you were convicted of a federal crime. But I don't know what will happen with that bill, and it really is my position that I'm going to stand for election, and whoever comes, I'll take them on. Well, it's, it's kind of an interesting situation because you focus so much of your career on criminal justice reform and giving people second chances. Um, and I wonder if, if that is part of your thinking by not taking a position on this bill just yet. Well, certainly, right. My history is, is well known when it's been discussed. I've told and told my colleagues that this is who I am. This is what I've stood for. And so I'm not going to turn my back on everything that I have stood for because of a personal interest. I don't believe I should. Hmm. If I do anything, I probably would not even vote on the bill because I have a vested interest in its outcome. Hmm. Um, Tell us about the current state of justice reform in Albany right now. There's a lot of gridlock relating to the bail reform law. And I've spoken with several of your colleagues in the assembly from the Queens delegation who do not want to budge on bail reform. Uh, what is your perspective on the bail reform law? I, I hold the same position. Actually, it's a three-pronged uh, program, bail reform, speedy trial, and discovery. Um, I sponsored the speedy trial component of that, the, those three laws. I believe that the position that we took last year was the correct one. It really changes the focus of criminal justice in the state. It forces the criminal justice system to reimagine how they do their work. They all seem to admit that the concept of a rich man commits a crime, a poor man commits a crime, the poor man goes to jail, the rich man goes home, was wrong. Why is there such immediate backlash? Well, I, you know, I think that it is a sexy story because when you look at you know, the cases that have been raised, um, I think there have been something like 85,000 uh, incidents after the bill had passed with only, uh, you know, a few that raised big concern and were publicized. I think it's part of a, uh, an attempt to um, intimidate those of us who sponsored the bill to uh, change, modify, or go back. The original call was to go back the way it was, and I don't think we in the Assembly would do that in any way, shape, or form. Hmm. It, all of these things kind of blend together. The discovery issue for district attorneys is that they don't have enough time um, in order to gather the information to turn over to the, the defense. Discovery exists in many, many states in this country, and 
is we were one of the last few states that didn't have discovery mm. requirements so that you didn't know as a uh, uh, defendant what you were being accused of. You may not see that information until right before trial. Mm-hmm. And it is was used, I believe, in a way to force people to plea out. And we have many, many cases of people who would plead to offenses just because they were stuck in, jo- in jail. The speedy trial component means you have to go to trial, as is constitutionally um, guaranteed within a reasonable period of time. Yet we've had cases, unfortunately, the worst that we know in current time is Khalif Brower, where he was in jail for an ordinary amount of time for a very small offense and ends up so psychologically abused that he kills himself. Mm. So, uh, America. We can't withstand that. We can't defend that system. We have to change that system. And, um, and, and, and you've, had, you've had a lot of success in, in making those changes in the past year. So I think Jeff has some questions. So, sure. and yeah, I'm, got, I'm veering over to in another direction. We we talked about Hiram, but I live in your neighboring district. I'm in Dendecker's district, and what's yeah. really interesting, but and for our listeners, that is the area that AOC and the progressive movement is extremely strong. And there's been a growing distrust of the political establishment. So then, how do you appeal to voters, particularly in the area in which you and I live, uh, where you're seeing? such a, a stronger hold of the progressive movement uh, that you should be you know, reelected? Well, if you look at my history, some of the things that were raised immediately, I've been progressive before progressive was popular. I've taken on causes, Rockefeller drug reform, and the many others that were, um, that were not even thought about at the time. So I understand people wanting progressive, but I think we have provided that. And particularly if you look at what we've done in the last couple of years, you look at Raise the Age, the DREAM Act, raising the minimum wage, uh, just a host of things we did last year um, uh, in order to improve this state and build on a progressive agenda. So while I understand that there are those who believe we haven't gone far enough, um, we work under the restraints of you know, the kind of government that we have where we need three-party agreement, governor, senate, and assembly, in order mm-hmm. to make things happen. And there are diverse opinions in the state, even among Democrats, about mm-hmm. what should happen. And that requires some kind of tact and working with your, your colleagues in order to work out the kinds of solutions that will pass statewide. And Assembly, we just have a, a few moments left, but... Thinking about your reelection campaign, you have kind of a low profile. It doesn't seem like you're giving that many interviews, so we're really uh, grateful you came on our show today. Uh, you don't have social media presence. It doesn't seem you have a, a campaign reelection website. Uh, if you send an email to your office, you get a, a an automated response saying "thank you for your internet message." It, how are you getting getting out the vote and letting people know that this is for the first time in a while a tough reelection fight? Well, uh, you know, I've been out in the district going to, we had three black history events in the last three or four weeks. People are coming out to them to, we'll do the same uh, for Dominican Heritage. Um, we'll be out. We have a website, jeffaubrey2020.com. Hmm. And of course, we have the assembly web website, aubreyj.assembly.com. 
that people can look in. And so we have, you know, people who are working with us. We have folks, a club that works with us that will be out. We've been knocking on doors. We've been doing canvassings. You know, there are, there are activities that are there. And I, I've lived in this district my entire life, Jeff, and so I know it. I walk it. I ride it. I talk to people. People have known me some through their childhood. And we'll continue to do that work, and we'll continue to reach out to new people who have come in the district um, through the mailings that we do. And I'm not averse to interviews. you got to be asked to take an interview. And, of course, I'm the speaker pro tem, so I'm on, I'm on the uh, assembly website every day conducting uh, sessions. Lots of people come to Albany to visit, to lobby. Um, and so, you know, I don't think that I'm low-key. Mm. I'm a big guy. I just don't make big noise. <laughs> but definitely the tallest in the Queens delegation. And we, we thank you for coming on the show this uh, this episode, and we hope to stay in touch. Uh, thank you very much for, for coming on. My pleasure, Jeff and David. Thank you. And I'll come on anytime you invite me. Thank you. So uh, before we get to, well, I know we, you want to talk about a certain fundraising thing in a moment, but I do want to report, because this just broke during our show, mm. that uh, Pete Buttigieg has dropped out or is quitting the wow. Democratic presidential race. If you go to the New York Times, NYTimes.com, you'll see uh, that this just went up. Uh, that this just went up about him dropping out of the race uh, this weekend after uh, the poor showing in uh, South Carolina. Wow. Um, no, and this is Steyer and Buttigieg this weekend. And then uh, and re- I think we're all waiting to see what happens on Tuesday. Yeah. Well, uh, if more uh, more people will drop out. But I, that, that surprises me because he did well. In, uh, he finished first in one. He finished second in two. And had hoped, according to you know a lot of the experts I've been following, hoped that that would carry him further yeah. along after the first two uh, successes or near success. Wow. Well, you're getting some some breaking news here on WBAI. <laughs> we, we try to give that to you whenever we can. So it interspersed with some of our uh, some our of our great guests, uh, and if if you like what you hear, remember that this is our winner membership drive. This is WBAI, non-corporate, non-commercial, community, progressive radio, recently celebrated its 60th anniversary. Uh, and if you like what you're hearing, please consider becoming a BAI buddy uh, by making a sustaining contribution. Listeners can give for just $10 a month. Many people give more, $15 a month. Uh, if you, I guess, were thinking of donating to the Buttigieg campaign, you might want to redirect that money elsewhere to WBAI. Because as Jeff just said, he uh, he's dropped out of the uh, of the primary. But I'm sure a lot of our listeners are saying you didn't say Sanders, so that's okay. You're not <laughs> well, taking away Sanders' donation, according to them. He he's still in the race and uh, looking pretty good, I think. After some of these uh, some of these primaries, I think South Carolina might have been a little bit disappointing. But if you make that contribution, you get a wonderful big black strong tote bag with a WBAI logo. And as we talked about earlier, that's. A, a pretty big value right now is plastic bags have become extinct, more or less, in New York City. At least those single-use plastic bags we're so used to at the grocery store or at the uh, at your favorite retail clothing store. So listeners can become buddies by going to give to the number two 
WBAI.org and clicking Buddies on the upper left-hand corner when the site opens and following the prompts. You can call our call center at 516-620-3602 and you say you want to become a BAI buddy in the name of whatever program or in the name of all programs. And if you want to give a shout-out to City Watch, that would be cool. There's also Driving Forces, which Jeff hosts on Thursdays. Uh, Max and Murphy, another popular one. Con Sabor Latino, uh, the Sunday evening show that precedes ours. So, yeah, a lot of great shows, but obviously I'm a little partial to City Watch. I hope you are. We we (laughs) we appreciate the support. WBAI appreciates the support. So please think about becoming a BAI buddy and making that sustaining contribution. So, Jeff, we were just speaking with Assemblyman Jeff Aubrey, who has served for 28 years, has had very few challenges. There was one about 10 years ago where he fended off a challenge from Anthony Miranda, who is a retired police sergeant running for Queensboro president, and we spoke with him a few weeks ago. On the show, yeah. Yep. And he is close friends and a former staffer for Hiram Montserrat, the former state senator, former council member who was convicted of domestic violence-related misdemeanor, was later sentenced to prison for public corruption. He is challenging Aubrey now, and because of the changing demographics in the district, uh, because of Montserrat's continued popularity, despite his really uh, horrible past convictions, he still has a following, and so this is a, this is a tough a tough race. Uh, we had the assemblyman assemblyman Aubrey on. We're waiting to see if maybe wannabe assemblyman Montserrat will give us a call. But in the meantime, we have another member of the state assembly, and that's Aravella Samotis from Western Queens, who has been a very outspoken critic of. Hiram Montserrat. And in fact, there was a New York Times feature that looked for comment from all of the uh, people in surrounding districts to the to Aubrey's district. And the only the only state of, uh, elected official who would go on the record weighing in on that was Assemblymember Samotis. So we're happy to have her on the phone to discuss this race and to discuss the state of affairs in Albany. Assemblymember Samotis, thank you for coming on WBAI. Good evening. Thank you for having me. So, you know, we we referenced that New York Times piece and what struck me, what struck a lot of people, and you could see that on Twitter uh, and on social media, was none of the other state officials uh, surrounding District 35 would go on the record, but you would. So talk to us about what your perspective is about Montserrat and why you wanted to make that known in that New York Times article. For me, um, I follow a very simple rule. I think that institutions of public trust must maintain certain standards. And those that work within those institutions or particularly are entrusted to represent them, they have to have certain morals and ethical standards that are beyond reproach. With respect to Mr. Montserrat, he has a track record of violence against women and of corruption. You know, in the past few years, we have made so many gains in the state legislature by electing so many strong, dynamic, and progressive women. You know, the last thing I think we need to do is take a huge step backwards. You know, I find the possibility of sitting with Hiram Montserrat in the state assembly utterly revolting. You know, I have devoted years writing laws to support New Yorkers who have experienced sexual violence and have and also spent over two years overhauling the Assembly's Ethics Committee. Hmm. 
So the notion that I could be sitting next to a convicted violent felon who has also served time, misappropriated uh, funding, like government funding, is very unsettling. And that's why I chose to speak out. Hmm. And you're listening to WBAI 99.5 FM's City Watch, streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm your host, David Brand, joined by my co-host, Jeff Simmons, and we are on the phone with Assemblymember Aravella Simotis talking about uh, the state of affairs in Albany and especially the race for Assembly District 35, where Hiram Montserrat is challenging the incumbent, Jeff Aubrey. Uh, and so, Assemblywoman, so you, you know, you speak very strongly, you said utterly revolting. Um, what about the concept of a person paying their debt to society, and, and how do you think that applies here? You know, I, I firmly believe in rehabilitation and second chances. I really do. You know, our criminal justice system really should focus on providing those who are incarcerated you know, with opportunities to learn and grow and move on from their mistakes and move on to productive lives and when they're released. But Mr. Montserrat you know, does not seem to think that he has to pay, repay his debt to society. Uh, I believe, um, according to multiple reports, he has failed to pay any uh, the restitution he was uh, required to pay based on the fraud charges. Hmm. Um, there's a second thing. You know, I am I'm not aware of any efforts on his part to redeem himself in the eyes of women. Hmm. You know, he has he has not volunteered time to help domestic abuse survivors, and um, he hasn't made any inroads with women's groups that I'm aware of, um, or has he acknowledged even the, 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 what his dangerous behaviors and actions uh, teach others? You know, I think that domestic abuse and sexual violence, it's about power and control, and the last thing our society needs is for, is for a convicted abuser um, to control the narrative. So what do you then have to say to the people, including the women who are supporting him? Everyone's entitled to their own opinion. I would hope that everybody takes their time to research history, to research Mr. Montserrat's past, and think about what he's done to redeem himself in their eyes and the eyes of society, and really contemplate whether he is the person that they want in state government writing the laws that affect them and affect their children, affect their neighbors. I think that everybody has to take a very, very hard look. Everyone's entitled to their own opinions, and they can vote how they want to vote, but they should vote with their conscience. If he were to win, do you think the Assembly Democrats would invite him into their conference? I can't speak as to my colleagues. What I will tell you is that I will not sit in a Democratic conference if he's sitting there with with me. Hmm. Um, and does that seem to be a common sentiment among many of your colleagues? Do you know others who are feeling that same way? I don't like to speak for my colleagues. Everyone hmm. has their own opinions, um, and I don't like to reveal the uh, conversations that I've had with my own colleagues. I could tell you that there is a feeling, uh, the feel, feelings are very unsettled. Uh, amongst my colleagues, that I could tell you. And I'm very passionate about this because I've spent years talking with uh, uh, domestic abuse survivors and uh, survivors of sexual assault 
and uh, women and men who really had these, uh, you know, this violence in their lives. And I've devoted so much of my life trying to improve the laws for them that in good conscience I could not um, sit next to uh, somebody who potentially may be elected, which I do not think will happen. But nonetheless, um, I will not sit next to somebody who I feel does not respect women. And it's so interesting because as you're speaking, Assemblymember, I'm thinking of what I and the country have witnessed when uh, the president holds his State of the Union where all the women uh, in one, in the, mm-hmm. I guess on the Democratic conference, mm-hmm. uh, were wearing white and that we've seen the women's marches. All of that is going through my mind as you're speaking. And I'm wondering if if he is elected, if we're going to be seeing similar things uh, happen on a state level among many of the Democratic mm-hmm. uh, women uh, holding office right now. As I mentioned before, we have so many strong passionate, dynamic, young women who were elected recently. And even uh, my more experienced colleagues, uh, we really speak with one voice uh, when it comes to women's issues. And it's always our it's always our focus to make sure that we improve the state of affairs and not walk back all of the all of the gains that we have made. You know, I, you know, speaking with my more experienced colleagues, I've heard of the struggles of even getting uh, the assembly to put in a woman's bathroom mm. by the floor, off the floor of the assembly. Well, tell, uh, tell us about well. tell us about some of the work you've been doing on women's rights issues, and especially with the sexual harassment working group in Albany. You know, I've worked very hard for the past couple of years to make sure that women's voices are heard and that we're not discriminated um, against in our workplaces and um, just in general. I worked very hard with Sexual Harassment Working Group to make sure that we have now the strongest laws in the nation protecting workers and protecting women in particular. Um, and it's been so satisfying to me to, to, to work with a group of very, very dynamic women who took their own experiences, um, negative experiences, and turned them into something positive. You know, we've, in, we've broadened the scope of who's protected from our laws. We've been able to eliminate ridiculous standards of proof that had to be uh, that somebody had to meet in a court of law mm. in order to seek justice. We've been able to extend the statute of limitations when um, a worker or a woman feels that they when they feel that they've been discriminated against when they when they can pursue justice. We've made it easier for them to prove their case, and there were so many internal roadblocks. Uh, put up for all of us that we were able to eliminate um, that I'm very, very proud of the work that they that they have done to bring these issues forward and the work that I was able to do in the assembly to actually realize these new laws. You, you mentioned uh, the fight just to get a women's bath, a woman's bathroom on the uh, on the assembly floor. What that sounds like the bare minimum, uh, the, the ultimate bare minimum. What what more needs to be done in Albany, whether that's just physical infrastructure uh, to make it better for women or better for mothers. Uh, and then thinking about the culture, what what still needs to change in the culture in Albany? Well, I'm happy that the culture of Albany has been changing. It's been shifting towards the better. And I think it's because, well, I know it's because there's been a lot, there are more women who have joined us. 
And um, I, I think that really everyone has, first of all, what can happen is understanding and education. People have to understand when certain things are said um, that words, you know, words are important. And sometimes words are spoken or there are behaviors towards women that are just inappropriate and discriminatory. And until we start educating our colleagues um, about what those are and keep up with that message, you know, people think that a lot of times they make jokes and that it's okay. Mm. But those jokes are not okay. So, again, what we need to do more of is education. We also have to close all these loopholes in the law that exist that, you know, it's, it's funny. Um, there is a, a law that, a bill that right now I'm working with, the Sexual Harassment Working Group, to close the loophole, the loophole for legislators and judges. The, the employees of legislators and judges are not covered by whistleblower law, hmm. whistleblower protection. So if one of my staffers uh, blows the whistle about behaviors, they could potentially be fired and not have any protections under the laws that are for whistleblowers. The same thing for judges, for judges' um, staff. And, I mean, it's clear to me that the reason that loophole in the law exists is likely because when they were writing the law, there were a bunch of men drafting and, and mm-hmm. uh, voting on those laws and no women. Mm-hmm. Because it is absurd to me to think that the very people writing those protections should not be covered by the laws that they're trying to get everybody else um, uh, covered with. So, so, I mean, these are, these are the issues that we really have to focus on. So, Assemblywoman, we've got just about a minute or two left. But one thing I do want to bring up another topic is that uh, this weekend I ran into you at the St. Pat's for All Inclusive Parade. And on the same day that... There was a controversy over on Staten Island where even a New York City council member who was wearing a small uh, pride flag pin was prevented from marching in the parade. What did it mean to you to participate in the parade in Sunnyside, Queens, particularly as you think of what was going on in Staten Island where members or supporters of the LGBTQ communities were not welcomed at all into this parade? For me, it is always meaningful to march in, in, in the St. Pat Forall Parade. Uh, I love my community. I represent Astoria, which is neighboring to Sunnyside and Woodside. And I love how inclusive and, and welcoming Western Queens is. I think that the fact that I'm able to march and show my love and gratitude to the LGBTQ community, um, it, I feel that it's a privilege because they they have welcomed me with open arms and it is i feel so thankful that i'm able to do the same for them um and i believe that we are a microcosm of you know all of the states and really people should look towards us to how to live in a welcoming environment and all of our and every community across the state should do the same mm-hmm. and welcome people from love and not and not turn them away well Assemblywoman Samotis, thank you for coming on the show and for sharing your perspective on the race for District 35, as well as your work in Albany uh, on behalf of women's rights. Uh, Grateful you you, uh, gave us a call and uh, we'll stay in touch. Thank you very much. Thank you. Have a good evening. Strong words. Uh, Yes. And uh, since we uh, 
talked about the parade. You know, I do want to say what was interesting is that I've been to a number of these, and as much as I mentioned that people were out there petitioning, I will say that when I looked at the sidelines, they were incredibly mm-hmm. robust. There were lots of people on the sidelines watching mm-hmm. and cheering on the electeds and the non-electeds and the organizations that were there. There were and there were people of all ages too. Mm-hmm. It was really, it's always been a welcoming, uh, fun event. Of course, at the very end of the parade are all the bars. That's where everyone hangs mm-hmm. okay. out afterwards. Yeah. I didn't make it there because I knew I was going to be coming here. <laughs> Uh, it could have been a little more of an interesting show, I guess, if you spent some time there. But that, it definitely has a reputation of, of not only being just an inclusive parade, but also just a really fun parade. And when you see the photos and people are dressed in wacky costumes and representing all types of organizations. And just look at uh, – it's hard to imagine that the parade in Staten Island could still be as uh, not inclusive and still as discriminatory as it is when you look at we're talking, we're celebrating this parade in Queens and the one in Staten Island is stuck in this old – really backwards, biased, discriminatory uh, place. So we uh, have about 10 minutes left. We are going to open up, Max, this is your favorite part. We're going to open up the phone lines. I believe, yeah, they are working. We got both guests in. Call us, let us know what you thought about what the callers had to say. If you want to weigh in on the race involving Hiram Montserrat and Jeff Aubrey, we'd love to hear that. But also, if you want to weigh in on Pete Buttigieg's dropping out, what you think is going to happen on Super Tuesday, or even the plastic bag ban that went into effect this weekend, mm-hmm. uh, give us a call at 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. Phone lines are open for the next 10 minutes. Yeah, I think even if you don't know too much about the specific race in Queens between Montserrat and Jeff Aubrey, you could like just from a general perspective, should a convicted felon be able to win election to uh, the state legislature? Uh, Has someone who has been to prison has served their sentence? Have they paid their debt to society? We'd love to hear from listeners uh, on their perspective about that. And we do want to remind our listeners that uh, David was very assertive in reaching out to Hiram Montserrat and his representative to try to get give him an opportunity uh, to call in during the show to be interviewed. He did speak with the New York Times for that piece that mm-hmm, you had mm-hmm. referenced earlier in the show. Uh, since then, I think, or was it right after that, or right before then, he was penalized, fined what, about $26,000. Yes. Uh, so, so I don't know. Maybe, maybe he's concerned that we're going to go down that road. But frankly, if you're running for office, you're out there. You're a public figure. You should be able to answer these questions. Uh, you know, and there's, from what I also understand, there's no public debate between them either. No, I don't uh, not think heard so. of any. Yeah. Unlike the Queensboro president race, yes. where there feels Non-stop. like there's another debate or forum almost every single day now. Yep. Yep. Uh, and on different issues. I think I saw one happening on the environment coming up uh, that Chrissy Chung might be moderating. I saw Katie Honan did one on environmental ah, stuff a few weeks ago. but Chrissy's doing another one. Yeah, and I'll, I'll put in a <laughs> She pl- was in here on the show, but uh, on the other show. I'll put in a plug for uh, for my debate that I'm moderating on Wednesday. Uh, it's at 630 in Glen Oaks at Common Point. So just plug that. Very good. Uh, we've got a caller on the line. Welcome to WBAI. What is on your mind? Happy Women's History Month. Happy Women's History Month. Thanks. Um, I think women are missing the boat with a fact that um, is absolutely huge, and we only have until uh, August 18th of this year to milk the F out of it. And what it is is women have only been voting for 99 years. Hmm. That's two digits. 
and that's going to turn to uh, to a hundred years, and then we can do the whole celebrate, yay, one hundred years of women's suffrage, whatever. But right now, um, all these people who were like, you know, uh, Pete Seeger's hundredth anniversary date, whatever his birthday. Why don't all those people who, you know, like, what would Pete do? You see those bumper stickers? What would Pete do instead of what would Jesus do? Mm-hmm. How about all those people? Because if I was Pete Seeger, I'd be like, why are you guys focusing on my birthday when you should really be, like, telling the world that women have only been voting for 99 years right now? Um, you know, like, he he's not, he wasn't a selfish kind of person. So brown-skinned men got the right to vote in 1870, even though it was probably just on paper and they their votes were suppressed, right? Fifty years later women got the right to vote in 1920. So 50 years before women got the right to vote, brown-skinned men got the right to vote. And those people were, like, enslaved. Those people, like, I just found out that, like, um, by listening to your radio station, it was so awesome. Um, This woman made this point. She was like, brown-skinned women, when they were slaves, did not have the right not to be raped. Mm-hmm. So they like expected to be raped this whole time. So anyway, I just wanted to like put that out there and thank you so but, much for having but me. But I do want to, but I do want to encourage you. I do want to encourage you to tune in to City Watch next Sunday because next Sunday, March eighth, is International Women's Day, and we're booking a few guests. And this topic on women's suffrage and the right to vote, it's coming up. Yeah, well, great, but we have four months to milk the ass out of it. And, like, you know, they say that, like, women are, like, you know, like, women are, like, oh, women play the victim so much. Oh, poor women. Okay, well, then let's milk the ass out of it and save 99 years, you know, instead of 100 years. Well, you're, anyway. you're calling to talk about women's rights and women's right to vote. Uh I don't know if you heard earlier what we were discussing about uh the race in Assembly District 35 where uh former state senator, former council member Hiram Montserrat is running – uh, and he has been convicted of uh, misdemeanor on domestic violence related charges. He was later convicted of a felony for public corruption uh, and sentenced to prison. Do you think he should have the opportunity to run again for state office? Um, I didn't hear the first part of the show. Um, and that's really good that you covered that. And um, no, I mean, every, anybody has the, I don't know, it's kind of like if you're a kid, maybe. If you're convicted of violent crimes, maybe you shouldn't have the right to run for office. Hmm. You know, like I'm all in favor of like people committing some crimes, honestly. Like if you need to get by and sell drugs or steal crap, those are nonviolent offenses, you know. So so we're going to have to wrap up in just a few minutes. But I want to thank you, by the way, for calling in. And please tune in next Sunday uh, when we mark uh, International Women's Day. Yeah, thank you for your call. Uh, just want to remind listeners to continue calling in, continue calling every Sunday, because this is WBAI non-corporate, non-commercial, community and progressive radio. And if you're listening, consider making a contribution to become a BAI buddy, uh, a sustaining monthly payment of $10. Uh, people usually do 15 You could do 20 uh, If you make that contribution, you get a big black tote bag with a WBAI logo on it. And and that's very important right now with the new plastic bag ban. So please consider making a contribution, uh, especially sustaining contribution by giving going to give to the number two WBAI.org, clicking buddies on the upper left corner of the site, following the prompts. You can also call the call center at 516 
620-3602 and say you want to become a BAI buddy in the name of whatever program you want. Hopefully that's City Watch. Uh, or finally text WBAI to 41444 and we appreciate the support. So I want to thank our listeners for calling in. Uh, we're going to have to wrap up in about another minute or two. Um, David, thank you again for joining me on this show. I'm glad the phone lines were working. We could take calls and get our listeners, uh, our, our guests in today. And next week, we are going to focus on uh, women seeking office and the strides uh, in politics and government and in the workforce. We're going to talk a lot of, uh, about issues where there have been advancements and where there are still challenges uh, that women face. Uh, I don't want to say who our guests are yet because we're going to firm them up early this mm -hmm. week. Uh, but I again want to thank our guests, uh, Assembly Member Jeff Aubrey, Assembly Member Aravella Simotis. And, uh, of course, how could I forget our wonderful news correspondent, Celeste Katz-Marston, uh, for also letting us know uh, immediately that Pete Buttigieg had dropped out. That was very important for us no, uh, to be able news. to note. Uh, uh, you should also tune in this Thursday when I'm back at 5 o'clock with Driving Forces. My in-studio guest who's going to take your calls for the hour is New York City Council Member Justin Brannan. Uh, I encourage you in advance to check him out, especially his Twitter feed, because he's very engaging. We're going to talk about his reaction to the uh, Super Tuesday results, what's going on in the New York City Council, how he thinks about the mayoral race, and also who he has endorsed for president. I'm sure that's something our listeners are going to want to hear about. I imagine punk rock will come up, too, in that uh, conversation. Oh, it definitely will. There might even be a special tune or two uh, hmm. that are played in the show for him, but I'm not going to reveal what that is uh, before then. If you have missed any part of this show, please go to WBAI.org. You go to programs, then you go to archives. You'll be able to uh, get the show. It'll be up in about 10 minutes. Again, please tune in. Stay with WBAI because coming up next is a show you are going to want to listen to, The Golden Age of Radio with Max Schmidt. Have a good day.